My wife and I are currently watching uh, season nine of the TV series Alone. If you haven't seen this or don't know anything about it, uh, there are ten people dropped off in the wilderness. They can bring just a few items like a bow and arrows, fishing line, and so on. And they have to survive on their own, fishing, hunting, gathering food. It's a contest to see who can stay the longest. And the last man or woman there gets $500,000. It's quite a, a program. They are alone. They film themselves. Uh, there, there's no one there with them. And of course, they play up the dangers of mountain lions and bears. And in season nine, there are actually polar bears in the area. And those are big creatures. But it's interesting that there has not been any attack by an animal. There has been no a threat of an animal attacking one of these people. But what has been a persistent threat is revealed by what one of them said. The most dangerous thing out here is myself. Fears, anxiety, stress. How would you do, forget about having to get your own food. Say you've got all the food you need. How would you do living in the woods, all the food provided, alone, no spouse, no friends, uh, no co-workers, no classmates, say for a hundred days? How would you do alone with yourself? The most dangerous thing out here is myself. If we shift context to the prison context, there is a, a prison term, the shoe, uh, a solitary housing unit. This has been in the news a lot recently. I'm not bringing it up because of that, but throughout history, there have been many people who come to their own end because of a long time, not in prison, but in the shoe alone. In other words, they could survive prison, but they can't survive being alone, without their celly, without someone to talk to, without a friend. This reality shows the battle, the battles that you and I and all humans have, the severity and the extent of our battles being inside of us. The most dangerous thing out there is myself is what this one person on the show said. This aligns with what the Bible teaches. Look at Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? And when you or I or these folks on alone are alone with themselves or a prisoner in the shoe for a long time, 
whose soul is desperately sick, they can get in deep, deep trouble. So this relates to our passage today because Saul is not alone in the sense that he doesn't have people around him. But he is alone in the sense that he disregards the opinion of others. He disregards the opinion of God. He is doing things his own way. He is alone. And his heart is desperately sick. And so in today's passage, you and I, the Christ follower, are to identify with him And then by God's grace, avoid doing what he does. What he does is ignoring God, ignoring God's word, ignoring those who would have wise words of counsel to him. He's going it alone, even though he is not alone. So if you need less of you and more of God, uh, that is what we are about now as we turn our attention to the passage that Chris just read, 1 Samuel chapter 28 and verses 3 through 9. So let's pick it up there. I hope you have your Bibles open or your devices open. You'll be able to track with me if you are following along in your Bible. Hopefully you got the silence off or your phone. If you're following along in your Bible on your phone, that your volume's off and that sort of thing. But let's jump into today's text, verse 3. It says, Now Samuel was dead. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. We're getting a summary here in verse 3, and it's a good summary. Samuel, this great spiritual leader, is gone. But Saul has done something good. He has expelled those who deal with spirits of dead ancestors people we might call witches, spiritists. He's gotten rid of them from the land. Uh, I was talking with someone yesterday about that these folks are not gone from from our land. Uh, Every time I I drive up, or often when I'm driving up I-80 at night, and I'm coming through Loomis, there's a shopping center off to the left, and there's this pink light uh, for a, a psychic or... Uh, a, a medium that you can go into and, and, and get these things uh, told to you by supposedly a supernatural power. I haven't seen anybody in there uh, when I've gone in there um, from, from here. I'm just kidding. I, I, haven't, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't been there. But I have noticed this pink light. So those pink lights are gone from the land of Israel. Saul has gotten rid of them in verse 3. That's what we're being told. Samuel's gone, this great spiritual leader, other than Moses, the greatest spiritual leader up to this point in Israel's history. He's gone, but look what Saul's done. Then we come to verse 4. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. In the Hebrew text here in verse 5, there's a, there's a play on words. The word, the verb saw, Saul saw, and the verb he was afraid sound very similar. And it just emphasizes he sees this superpower, the Philistine army, and he's terrified and he's afraid. Verse 6, 
He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him. And then we have these three categories of how leaders in ancient Israel would discern God's will. He, he didn't answer, the Lord didn't answer by dreams or by Urim. Urim was uh, kind of like casting lots or, or throwing dice, utilizing the priests. You might remember that Saul recently had the priests, all of them except one, killed. So God is not answering Saul by dreams or by Urim or by prophets, a prophet like Samuel or some other prophet. There is no word from the Lord. Verse 7, Saul then said to his attendants, and everything shifts here at verse 7. So it's okay to have to wait on the Lord. Like there's nothing really bad or wrong other than Saul's afraid. He sought the Lord and now he should wait or seek wise counsel or look for one of these prophets is what he should do. But everything shifts in verse 7. He decides to go to that that pink light off of I-80 here, verse 7. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so I may go and inquire of her. What kind of attendants does Saul have? He has ones who know where the pink lights are. There is one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes, and at night he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one I name. But the woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Saul obviously has an effective disguise here, so he's disguised. She doesn't recognize the king of Israel. He doesn't have his robe on. He also had to be in disguise because he had to cross enemy lines. So that tells you something. He's afraid of this superpower, but he's willing to disguise himself, cross through Philistine territory in order to get to this pink light. So uh, she says, you know what, what Saul's done? I mean, the irony here, the, 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 the literary drama here, he has cut off the mediums and spirits from land. Why are you, why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? This is res- the response of the medium in Endor. So how does this relate to you and to me? H- how does this passage help us to be followers of Christ? One of the things I want us to notice here is how far Saul has fallen, the trajectory of his life. Let's go back, look at the screen, 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, His father uh, had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. So he not only had physical stature, but, but he was without equal. He, he, was, he was chosen. 1 Samuel chapter 10, Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, and kissed him. Gosh, what we're about to see, Samuel's communication here in this chapter is amazing. What we're about to see, it is so far from what was happening in chapter 10. Whereas men in the ancient Near East would do, and today in the Middle East do, they, he, he kisses him. He anoints him. He anoints him king. The prophet Samuel 
Has not the Lord anointed you, Saul, leader over his inheritance? 10, uh, 1 Samuel 10.10, 10, the Spirit of God came upon Saul in power, and he joined in their prophesying. Saul has fallen so far when we get to verse 7 and this chapter, the spirit, the mood, the tenor, the, the, the music in the background, if this were a movie, shifts at verse 7 when he doesn't get an answer from the Lord and he doesn't get an answer from the Lord because he has disobeyed and turned away from the Lord and the Lord has put his spirit upon David and Saul should have already by now sought the peaceable transfer of power and handed it to David, but he's clinging on to the, his idol of power and selfishness and greed and, and wealth. And, and so he's gone to this woman to find a way forward. We see a man who is using God rather than being used by God. And God wouldn't give him any direction, so, so he's gone to this woman. Saul's heart is desperately sick, and he is relying on his own thoughts, his own ways, his own doings. So how this passage relates to you and me is although we are not a king and we don't have authority uh, like he does, we have a tendency to go our own way and to take control of situations, especially when, when we have sought divine guidance and, and we didn't get it. That is a common thing throughout the scriptures where we need to wait on the Lord. There are many paths that Paul could, that Saul rather could have taken here, but he's taken his desperately sick heart and on his own alone has decided to go forward to try to figure out how to deal with this threat of the superpower of the Philistines who are about to take them out. One of the men who I have learned a lot from One of the dead men I have learned a lot from is John Newton. I want to share with you a letter that he wrote that's helpful in understanding how to apply this chapter in in our lives. He he writes this. This is a pastor writing to another pastor. And he, he, he says to this pastor, John Campbell, he says, I believe the most lively grace and the most solid comfort are known among the Lord's poor and undistinguished people. I'm putting this up here, this letter, because Saul is neither poor nor undistinguished. Paul, uh, Saul, I keep saying Paul, Saul has the authority and power and wealth of the nation at his command. He is a monarch, he's a king, and he is highly distinguished. He is highly recognized. He normally wears this incredibly expensive and and rare robe. So is this true, what what John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, is writing to this other pastor? This is near the end of his life, and he's essentially saying that I see the, the, the most joyful, the most lively grace, the most solid comfort is known among the Lord's poor and undistinguished people. Look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6. He's looking at his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you who are poor. He's referring to those who are materially poor, who have left everything to follow him. Blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now there is a weak side to being materially poor. That's not what's being emphasized or talked about here. 
But there is a strong side, a strong spiritual side to being materially poor. And that is, when you pray, give us today our daily bread, and you are depending on God for food, there is a spiritual reality and a a faith that is so strong in looking to him to provide rain, to provide crops, to provide work, to provide food, where you are blessed And Saul is so far from this place. I am quoting John Newton again because few of us here in this place, in this building, this morning, in 2023 in the foothills, are poor. We have a lot, although we're not kings, we have a lot in common with Saul. Back to John Newton's letter, here's here's how he continues. So let me just start again from the top. I believe the most lively grace and the most solid comfort are known among the Lord's poor and undistinguished people. Every outward advantage has a tendency to nourish the pride of the human heart and requires a proportional knowledge of the deceitful self and the evil of sin to counterbalance them. What Saul lacks is a proportional knowledge of his deceitful self he thinks, I can get this done. I know what to do. I'm going to, since, since this hasn't worked, since God hasn't served me the way I want him to, I'm going to go to this, this witch or this medium in Endor. I'm going to do it my way. So what I am trying to get at in light of this passage and in light of the wisdom that John Newton is giving to another pastor and to those of us who have gifts or resources or wealth, that we need additional knowledge of the deceitfulness of ourselves, of how we will rely upon our own gifts and resources to find our way instead of depending upon God. So this is not a a message. uh, John Newton isn't saying we should all become poor. He's saying the poor have a spiritual advantage. And those of us who are not poor need an understanding of how our resources, how our gifts, how our talents hinder our faith and dependence and reliance upon God. The most dangerous thing out here is myself. The most dangerous thing in this world, in many ways, is the deceitful self of our own hearts. We desperately need God and his word, and we need an understanding of ourselves. Saul doesn't have that understanding. So that is what I'm trying to say out of verses 3 through 9, is that by his grace, you and I need a proportional knowledge of our deceitful selves. And the reality is, the more gifts, the more talents, the more wisdom, the more proportional knowledge you need of how you may be relying upon that, especially if it is not of the Lord, and that is the situation that we have here. Saul going his own way. So that's what we see in verses three through nine. Um, what outward advantage does Saul have? What outward advantage do you have? And how does that keep me from relying upon God? So that's verses three through nine. Let's come back to our text here and pick up what, what's uh, going on. So this woman, this witch or medium or necromancer, whatever your translation has for this this person who would commonly call up dead spirits or dead people and communicate with them to help you live your life. 
So he's, he's gone to her. She is concerned uh, for her safety because Saul has cut these people off and she may end up in prison or she may end up dead or whatever, violating the law of the land. So verse 10, let's, let's pick it up there. So Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Now, before we go to see who he wants to be brought up, in verse 10, this is the last time that Saul uses God's name, the Lord, Yahweh, the sacred name of the covenant-keeping God of Israel, the last time he will speak God's name, verse 10. He is taking the Lord's name in vain. He is lying. He is going against God's word explicitly here, which forbids going to these uh, pink light districts, if you will. And he is not only gone there, but now he is swearing by the name of Yahweh that she will not be punished for this. The one who has banished this from going on in the land of Israel is telling her, you won't, you won't be punished. So she asks, who, will I bring up, who shall I bring up for you in verse 11? Bring up Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. You are the king of Israel. You are the one who's made this law. And I am now breaking this law. And the way that I see her response here in verse 12, that she cried out at the top of her voice, is that this is not routine. Now, what is routine for her? The text doesn't tell us. Does she have normal, supernatural, demonic power to bring up the dead? She, she, she might, she might not, she might be just a hoax, a, a scam, or she might be an evil woman who, who actually taps into demonic and supernatural power. The text doesn't really tell us, but she's surprised. So the way I understand that is this is, she sees Samuel, this is not normal, and she now is able to see through Saul's disguise that this is Saul, this is the king of Israel. Verse 13, the king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? This chapter is just so full of literary irony. So we have a king who is terrified, who is telling the necromancer not to be afraid. As she sees the greatest figure in Israel's history aside from Moses before her, she sees him. So he asks a question, what do you see? The woman said, I see, and I'm going to follow the alternate translation. My translation has a little footnote at the bottom. I see gods coming up out of the ground. So she sees many figures coming up out of the ground is the way I understand verse 13. I don't know what your text says. But the, my Mine says, I see a spirit, but then there's a little footnote in the bottom. It says, or gods, and that's the way I think it should be taken. So she sees a bunch of figures or gods coming up out of the ground. What does he look like? Verse 14, he asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. So Saul knows immediately, as soon as he hears that, that she sees Samuel. And he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So it's interesting at this point, he can't see Samuel, but she can see Samuel. So again, I don't know if this woman is normally a fraud or if she's normally tapping into demonic powers, 
But here, I understand this, that she actually sees Samuel. And Saul now knows that Samuel is there. And Saul, instead of acting like, I've got this, I'm going to do it my way, I've got, I'm going to figure this out, he actually falls to the ground here because of the respect and honor and, and reverence that he has for Samuel. He, he falls to the ground because this has actually taken place. Now this is all, this is a, a crazy chapter. So I would say, well, I'm looking forward to this chapter. I, I'm not sure we should, I mean, we should always look forward to the word of God, but this is just a crazy thing that's going on here. What's really clear is that this is wrong. Leviticus 19, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. So God in his sovereignty chose to use this, and we're going to find out in a moment, he's using this woman to bring judgment on Saul, not to to communicate judgment to him, not to help him figure out what to do with the superpower of the Philistines, but to actually bring judgment to him. And this is God can work however he wants. And what is really clear in this passage is that Saul should not be doing this and that you and I should not be turning to other means that are forbidden by God's word, whatever those means are, to get help. And these mediums, these spiritists are forbidden. So what we see in verses 10 through 14, what you and I need is by his grace, we need unconditional surrender to his word in our lives, especially when we're facing difficult situations, when we're afraid, when we don't know how to go forward. We cannot compromise the truths of his word, and that is exactly what Saul has done. He is doing it his own way, and he is disregarding the clear word of God. This philosophy, this Uh, spirit of doing it your own way is actually quite popular in our culture. Uh, This is not a a new song, but some of you know this song that Frank Sinatra, uh, long before I was born, made popular uh, called My Way. And I'm going to play a little bit of it for you because this, I think, would be Saul's theme song. If he had a theme song, this this would be it. Let's go ahead and play a little bit of it. I did it my way For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself probably not used to hearing the word evil alongside Frank Sinatra, but that line, and not the words of one who kneels, is evil. This is an anti-Christ song. I'm going to do it my way. 
I'm not going to kneel. I'm not going to wait on the Lord. I'm not going to wait for the prophet or the dream or the priest. I'm going to go to the witch of Endor. I'll take whatever happens, whatever comes my way. I'm going to do it my way. This is the tendency of all human beings. From Saul, Frank Sinatra, to you and to me. And God's word wants to read my heart and your heart. And the way that we should respond to this passage is not primarily with curiosity about what sort of power this woman had. That is not what this text is about. This text is about following the Lord and unconditionally surrendering to his word. That is what Saul has not done. Saul is the lawmaker and he is the lawbreaker. We need a knowledge of ourselves related to our gifts and our resources as we have those so that we are not deceived and we need unconditional surrender to his word. James chapter 1 uh, says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. This is what the New Testament calls us to avoid. Saul has deceived himself. Saul has not been a good student of his own self and has not managed his power and his authority and his resources and seen them as a danger. And he has disregarded the word of God. So unconditional surrender to his word, that is one of the primary takeaways here. Let's come back to the text here, and we're going to work our way through verse 19. So Saul um, saw that it was Samuel. He falls to the ground. Verse 15, Samuel says to Saul, the dead Samuel says to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has turned away from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. I take notes in my Bible if you uh, circle or take notes in your Bible, look at, look at these pronouns. I, me, 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 me. In verse 15, it is all about him. He is doing it his way. And I don't want to wait on the Lord. I don't want these godly means that God's given me for direction. So I've gone to the witch of Endor and I've asked her to bring you up. And here, I, and here you are. And that's why I have bothered you, Samuel. Verse 16, Samuel says, Why do you consult me? Now that the Lord, Yahweh, has turned away from you and become your enemy. The Lord, Yahweh, has done what he predicted through me. The Lord, Yahweh, has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. The problem is here, he hasn't transferred power. He hasn't waited on the Lord. He hasn't obeyed the Lord. And then he's given an explicit reason here from Samuel, verse 18. Because you did not obey the Lord Yahweh or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, 
this is, you, you might remember, those of you that were here some weeks or months ago, Saul was told to wipe them out. He didn't do that. He took their plunder. He took things for himself and saved some of them for his own benefit, doing it his way. So because of that, the Lord Yahweh has done this to you today. He's referring now to how the Philistines have shown up. And this is, this is about the last call. This is the curtains about to end here on Saul. Verse 19, the Lord will hand you over The Lord Yahweh will hand over both Israel and you to the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The way I and many commentators understand what he's saying there, he is not distinguishing between heaven and hell. This isn't a a passage about the eternal destiny of Saul. This is a passage saying, when he says, and you and your sons will be with me, he's simply saying, You are going to receive judgment and die. You are going to cross over. Judgment is coming to you. This text, as I read it, does not address his his eternal destiny, and this is not something that's very common throughout the Old Testament to address that. The Old Testament often refers to Sheol, or the place of death, and that is what's being referred to here. So the Lord will hand over. uh, So not only will you be with me, but the Lord, Yahweh, will also hand over the army of Israel to the Philistines. So what he gets is a message that he's already gotten, that you have turned away from the Lord, you have disobeyed the Lord, the Lord has withdrawn his spirit from you, and now the message that he gets by traveling in disguise to the witch of Endor is the end of his life, and that Israel is going to be taken by the Philistines. So another note here for you note-takers. So we see all the me and I pronouns in verse 15. In Samuel's response, we see the Lord, Yahweh. That's why I mentioned it seven times. God is at the very center of what is going on here. Samuel doesn't speak judgment. Samuel isn't the one who, who comes out. It is, he's speaking it on behalf of God is what I'm trying to say. Samuel is simply communicating the message of judgment to Saul, and Saul is receiving this judgment because he has turned away from the Lord. So by his grace, you and I need to know ourselves. We need to know ourselves so that we are not deceived. We need unconditional surrender to the the word of God. We need to know it and obey it completely and totally and be yielded to it, And then finally, we also need unconditional surrender to the Lord himself. And that is what is being emphasized here in Samuel's response. As I was reflecting, and we're going to close close out here in just a moment, um, not go through the rest of the chapter. I'll give you the rest of the chapter for homework. As I was reflecting on Saul and David this week and on this passage, I wrote a little list here. And I'll close with with this list. Uh, Saul and David, both of them profess faith. Both of them sin. Both of them are anointed king. Both of them do good works. Both of them are disciplined by God. We're going to get to that part of David's life in, in 2 Samuel. But we have a fundamental different orientation of the relationship that David and Saul have with God. 
as I look at the totality of Scripture in David's life, I see David as a servant, as a slave to God. We don't use that word very often, but the New Testament uses that word to describe believers, that we are bought by a price. God owns us. Christ purchased us. We are his slaves, his doulos, if you will. Saul's relationship, as I look at the totality of Scripture, he, he did good works, he was disciplined by God, you can find him doing some good things, but ultimately his relationship with, with God was, was reversed. Saul was the master, and God was used. And this passage exposes that, and that is why judgment comes to him. The Word of God is reading us today and warning us of the deceitfulness of our own hearts, the tendency to go away from the Lord and away from his word. The most dangerous thing out there, if you will, is ourselves. Let's bow our heads and ask God to help us, to protect us from ourselves and to be yielded to him. Father in heaven, Lord, uh, our hearts, our minds, especially in the darkness of night, which was the time at which these events took place. This is when Saul traveled to the witch at Endor. It was in the nighttime. And I know for many of us, the nighttime, those sleeping hours especially, can be the place where we do battle in a variety of ways, with anxiety, with depression, with fears, when we are alone. God, in those moments, help us to cry out to you. Lord, when we are faced with a superpower that we don't think we're going to be able to overcome, give us, by your grace, faith to believe and to trust in you. And Lord, help us to long to not only know you, but to obey your word, especially when we are in difficult times. To not seek out forbidden solutions to try to find our joy. Help us to wait on the Lord and find and receive our joy in you. We thank you for this passage and for your word. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.